Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Monday edition of The Yard. It's still Sunday for a little bit longer. I'm recording a little bit earlier than normal, but uh, I wanted to take some time to collect some thoughts, and I've got some things to share. And I, I might sound a little bit whiny today, and to be honest with you, I don't care. I'm going to say them anyway. I've got some things that I think that uh, need to be said, and I think many of you will agree I think there's some other things that I'll say that I might step on your toes, and if I do, I hope it hurts. But uh, we'll get to that a little bit later. I would be remiss if we did not talk about a couple things that are going to take place this week involving Mississippi State Athletics. Mississippi State men's golf playing in an NCAA regional. Let's talk a little bit about that. We're going to be at the Tumble Creek Golf and Country Club up in Washington Mississippi State, the 11th seed out of 14 teams there in that regional will be Wake Forest, Pepperdine, Florida, Arizona, San Francisco, Iowa, Washington, East Tennessee State, Utah, Oregon, Mississippi State, Long Beach State, Denver, Sacramento State. Also, too, there'll be some individuals that will be playing there as well that uh, perhaps their team didn't make it, but they made it as individuals. And so uh, that'll get underway this week and uh, wish those folks the best. That'll run uh, May 17th through 19th. So that'll begin on Monday uh, and run through Wednesday. And so good on those guys for uh, for making the tournament and best of luck to you all. Then also, too, was announced on Sunday, Mississippi State softball in an NCAA regional. That'll take place this coming weekend out in Stillwater, Oklahoma. Mississippi State makes it as a two-seed in the Stillwater Regional. Of course, Oklahoma State will be the host there. Oklahoma State 
Cowgirls, I guess is what they call them, 42-9. and nine. They will take on Campbell in a one-versus-four matchup. Mississippi State will take on Boston U, who is 36-2 on the year. I think this is actually a good draw for Mississippi State. Uh, Oklahoma State, a number five national seed, and you knew Mississippi State wouldn't necessarily get a favorable draw, but I like the fact that we're not paired with an SEC team. We have never won an NCAA regional in softball. Never done it. Now, they've only been playing it, you know, several years now. It hadn't been, uh, you know, decades. It's something that's still a relatively new sport uh, in this current regional format. But we have never won a regional. I don't know if it happens this year. But I think after what's happened here in the last couple of weeks, we're awfully proud of uh, Coach Samantha Ricketts and Tyler Bratton and Josh Johnson and the crew there and the work they have done. The team has played exceptionally well. You guys know they – did a great job in the SEC tournament. They make the tournament. They beat Ole Miss in the tournament and then lose to Florida, who uh, finished second, losing to Alabama in the SEC tournament. So happy to still be playing softball. I know some of you really follow them very, very closely. I've got some friends locally that uh, don't miss a game. And so eager for you guys to have a chance to watch them this week. Probably will be uh, on an app somewhere rather than on television, but uh, be that as it may. We're still playing softball. And about a month ago, I don't think any of us expected us to be in a regional, but we are. And so if I'm Oklahoma State, I'm not real happy, though. <laughs> it's like, you know, you get Mississippi State all of a sudden, you know, they, they kind of catch lightning in a bottle and then they're headed to your place. And so uh, they have beaten some quality teams. Don't know how long the road lasts, but uh, happy that we're still on it. And again, best of luck uh, to the ladies out there. We're going to talk a lot about uh, baseball today. We're going to talk an awful lot about baseball today. We're not just going to talk about Missouri. We're going to talk about Alabama. We're going to talk about really the state of the program and what are reasonable expectations for Mississippi State baseball. And, again, I may come off a little bit whiny today, and I'm okay with that because I'm going to say what i got to say. What I've got to say is also sponsored by the fine folks at Bulldog Burger Company. Great people, man. I tell you what, I had a discussion with John Bean last week, and uh, I'm a big fan of John's. I'm a big fan of that whole group for what they do to help uh, feed us here in Starville. Well, that entire group of restaurants, man, just up, upper crust for sure. Throughout the Golden Triangle, these people know exactly what they're doing. Bulldog Burger Company, part of that great family. Two locations to serve you right now, right here on University Drive in Star Vegas and on Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. And coming soon... Lake Harbor Drive there in Ridgewood. You need to go by and check that out. And listen, I shared with you guys on Friday, and there's been some incredible response. And thank all of you that retweeted my tweet. All three locations looking for some help right now. And so if you were looking for a fun job with a great company, look no further than Bulldog Burger Company. Maybe perhaps you've got a, a college graduate or somebody else in your, in your life that says, you know what, they would do a good job for these folks. Go apply, or you can go to eatwithus.com to get more information. Bulldog Burger Company, a great, great place with great food, great prices, great atmosphere. And, and I'm not just saying this from an employment standpoint because they're sponsors to the show. Uh, my nephew, Dan Kennedy, worked at the one here in Starkville and absolutely loved it. I mean, to this day, he is very grateful to me for putting in a good word for him. And listen, I don't think they hired him just because uh, he was my nephew, but I know that, I know that they're glad they did. He's done a great job for them and uh, hated to leave. That was one of the things he told me about when he graduated Mississippi State was leaving the Bulldog Burger Company family. So maybe you can go, ask, can go be the next Dan Kennedy 
at that place there in Starkville, or perhaps Tupelo is better for you, or, or Ridgewood. And I know that place in Ridgewood is going to be extremely well managed. Ian Feud, the former manager here in Starkville, headed down there, moving uh, his crew down there, and they're going to do a great job. So, again, Bulldog Burger Company looking to hire you and feed you. Go by, check them out today. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet, M-E-A-T. So it was an awful weekend of baseball in Starkville. We were very fortunate to win a game. And it's disappointing. It's absolutely disappointing. We had so much at stake. And what stinks so bad is we got the help we needed around the league, and we just didn't take care of our end of it. Had we swept Missouri, we would be tied for first place in the SEC right now with a weekend to go, and the team we would be tied with, Arkansas, would be hosting Florida, a team that's been red hot down the stretch, currently tied with Mississippi State in the SEC standings. They would hold the tiebreaker for a couple reasons why. Let me break this down for you as best I can. We didn't play Florida head-to-head. That's the first tiebreaker. The second one is best divisional record. We're not in the same division. So you've got to go to the cross-divisional tiebreaker, which means it would be against, you know, common record against the number one seed. Well, that is probably going to be Arkansas. So if Arkansas is the number one seed, you know, we went 0-3. Florida hadn't played them yet. So if Florida wins a game this weekend, then they would win the tiebreaker against us. In the event that they get swept, then – and Mississippi State got swept, we'd still be tied. Then they would go to the number two seed, which could be Vanderbilt or Tennessee. We didn't play Tennessee. So it keeps going until you find a common opponent in the SEC tournament seeding. And so basically, I don't see a way for us to win a tiebreaker because obviously we went one out of three against Vanderbilt. They beat Vanderbilt. So Florida would obviously win the tiebreaker. So the best thing for us is we need to win one more game than Florida does this weekend. So we need to win our series at Alabama, and we need Arkansas to win that series because chances of us winning the league are basically over at this point. Basically completely over. And so now we're thinking about seeding. We're thinking about our place in the SEC pecking order. And so we need to finish, obviously, in the top five, and the higher in the top five we can finish, the better. So that said, there are a few things that I want to say about Mississippi State baseball. So a few years ago, I decided, you know, we had grown so much as a business over at Jeans Page that we needed to incorporate road baseball into our coverage. I don't just mean going over to Tuscaloosa. I don't mean just going to Hoover, running down to Jackson, Trustmark Park. And we wanted to do all that stuff, too. But we wanted to give you guys the best coverage available about Mississippi State baseball. Once I began to do road baseball, I got a great deal of joy from it. And I began to ask myself, why would I ever deny myself the joy of going to cover Mississippi State play baseball on the road? In most cases, I am the only member of the media that does it. I know a lot of people talk a lot about Mississippi State baseball. A lot of people write about Mississippi State baseball. But I'm there. I go. I go toward the facilities. I cover the games in person. I talk to coaches and players in the post game. That's why a lot of times when you read post game stories from other people, they don't have quotes because they're not there. And I don't say that to throw shots at anybody else. I'm just telling you that we have made a real commitment to Mississippi State baseball coverage. That will continue for as long as I am healthy enough to do it. As long as I have the wherewithal and the ability and the resources, I will cover Mississippi State baseball home and away for as long as I can. 
I think I'm still young enough that I've got you know a few decades of this left in me, but we'll see. You know, maybe at some point my grandkids are old enough, and I may have to make a decision between watching them play sports and going doing road baseball series. And that's going to be a very difficult conversation for me to have with my family. But uh, I love going. I do. I love Mississippi State baseball. And some of the things that I'm about to say, I know that when I say this, I speak for you too. I don't think you will disagree with any of this. But I'm going to say it because I believe it needs to be said. So the first thing that I want to say is because of this extensive travel that I've done the last few years covering Mississippi State Road Baseball, I think I can speak authoritatively when I say we have the best college baseball facility in the Southeastern Conference and certainly in the country because the SEC just is simply more committed to building facilities than anybody else. There's nobody else in the country that competes from a facility standpoint that the SEC does. It's, it's not close. If you've been out and done any road regionals or you toured some facilities, you know, you get out and go see some places. I, mean, I had a chance to went to Nebraska and had a chance to go see their baseball facility. Hey, they're good, but they're not in the same caliber of what we have in the SEC. It's not close. Been to Florida State, been to Miami, been to Clemson, been a lot of few places. And it's just not close. Now, a lot of people will get out here and argue and say, oh, man, Bomb Stadium is great. Bomb Stadium's not even in the top three. Now, you want to start judging atmosphere? Yeah, they're right there with us. It, it is a phenomenal atmosphere at Bomb Stadium. But from a facility standpoint and from a venue standpoint, it is not on the level of Mississippi State, Dirty Noble Field. It's not on the level of Founders Park at South Carolina. And I would submit not as good as University Stadium at Ole Miss. I think those are the top three in the SEC. Now, if you know how much I dislike Ole Miss, you know how difficult it is for me to say that. But there is a big gap between Duty Noble, Founders Park, and then everybody else. There really is. Alex Box is great from an atmosphere standpoint. The grandstand is outstanding. But with all of those placards out on the outfield wall, it looks very minor leaguey. They have the aluminum bleachers down the, uh, down the foul lines. It looks rather cheap that's what they have in the outfield it's just not it's not the same and that place has kind of gotten old on them too it's relatively new but it's uh you know they probably should have uh, invested a little more money in that facility i really like plainsman park at auburn it's downright cozy they've got some room to grow there but there's just no interest in, in baseball at auburn i think alabama's nice it's just not on a level of what everybody else has I mean, you can run all the way to it. Bluebell Park at A&M, is, they've let that place get really old. It looks decent on television, but it's not nice. It's not. I mean, yeah, I mean, they got the brick out there, and I mean, they don't have any outfield seating. They blow those bubbles, which is kind of annoying, but it's, it's not a great facility. I would venture to say it is probably, you know, sixth or seventh in the West. You know, they think it's great. It's not. They hadn't traveled much. I mean, to get to the East, I haven't covered a game at the new Florida Stadium. I have seen it. I've covered games at the old stadium. And, and the new Florida Grandstand looks a lot like the new Grandstand at Dirty Noble Field because the same people designed it. It's great, but the atmosphere is lacking. Tennessee is extremely antiquated. They used some of Todd Helton's money, upgraded the outfield. They did some things to make it look good on television, but... 
the fan experience in and of itself is nowhere close to what it is in the rest of the league. I would say Tennessee, arguably, uh, 12th or 13th in the league, Missouri being the worst. I haven't covered a game in Kentucky. I have seen their facilities reasonably close. Hadn't had a chance to go tour the stuff underground. Maybe one day it's come up there. I'll, I'll leave early enough for I can hit Nick up and say, hey, Nick, can I get a tour? It's not great. Georgia's the only one I hadn't seen up close. But I've talked to enough people that will tell you, you know, Georgia's just kind of middle of the road in the SEC at best. But here's the deal with all of that. As great as Duty Noble Field is, and it is incredible, it is. We have so much to be proud of and for. I want so much more than that. I don't want to just be known as the school that spent a ton of money and built this grand cathedral to college baseball. I want that, but I want so much more. I want SEC titles. I want national championships. I don't just want the stadium. Now, I also believe there's a means to an end here, too. I believe by building this great stadium, it'll help us in recruiting, which will in turn get us better players, which will bring those conference and national championships. I firmly believe that. But I want more. I want more than just to say, you know what, hey, man, you got to go see a ball game at Duty Noble Field. It is incredible. I want them to say that's the home of the national champions. You know, we spend a lot of time in this state comparing ourselves to Ole Miss, and, and rightfully so. I mean, listen, Ole Miss under Bianco has been really good. But we've been better. Over the course of the last decade, we've been markedly better. Matter of fact, in the last five years, what's our record? 16-3 and three against them? It's not close. It's not really a rivalry. Now, of course, we never want them to win, but listen, let's be honest. I give Mike Bianco a lot of credit. He has built some real tradition at a place that didn't have a whole lot. You know, in the early 70s, you know, I guess in the Tom Swayze days, they had some really good teams, and they had Jay Gibbs, and, and listen, they were just an also-ran in the SEC. And I know Mike Bianco gets a lot of grief from Ole Miss fans because they don't know that he can get them over the hump, and I don't know that he can either. But they've been really good. And in the early 2000s, you could argue they were great. But we've been better. You can say, well, Steve, I don't know. You're wrong. Do the math. Go pull up the records yourself. Stop your self-loathing nonsense. We're better than them. They know it, and everybody that has a brain knows it as well. Look, how many times, this is the glory days of their program under Mike Bianco. They've been to Omaha one time. We went in 07, went in 13, went in 18, went in 19. We've been four times. They've been once in the glory years of their program. We are better, period. But here's the deal. I want so much more than that. I don't just want to be better than Ole Miss because we've already established that they're really good, but we're already better. So we've already accomplished that just as we've accomplished having the greatest baseball stadium in, all, in the country. We've already accomplished that. I want to be more than just being better than Ole Miss. I, if, you, if you speak to some of these players from the 70s and 80s, they almost scoff at the notion that Ole Miss is close to us. And perhaps they can't be really objective, but it's like Ole Miss, I mean, come on. That was just another game to us. When I interviewed Rafael Palmero for Alpha Dogs, I even asked him, are there any games with Ole Miss you really remember? He goes, no, not really. You know, the games that we remember were LSU, Alabama, Auburn. We just didn't have a lot of big games against Ole Miss. And we've had some, you know, the last 20 years. 
But we've dominated the rivalry the last five years. Dominated it. It's not close. But I want more than that. I want more than to just be better than Ole Miss. Now, we can get out here, we can talk about all the scholarship advantages that Vanderbilt has, and basically, here's the deal. We can fight and, and kind of, you know, form a union of sorts, and we can fight against it, and we can beat it, or we can keep complaining about it. I think, I think Vanderbilt's pretty vulnerable this year. To playing some young kids kind of reminds me a little bit of 2018 a bit. You know, they got some young guys that are dudes. You know, they got some 20-year-old freshmen too. But I think, you know, when we begin to look at this thing, you know, this year, that's what makes it so difficult is that we got the benefit of playing the bottom half of the SEC East just like Vandy got to do every year and we didn't take full advantage of it. We got nobody to blame but ourselves. You know, and I begin to look around this and say, you know what, you know, we were the, we're the place of, of Clark and Palmero and Thigpen and Brantley and Paul Mahalam and B.J. Wallace, Adam Frazier, Hunter Renfro. We can run all the way down the list. But I want to be more than that. I don't just want to be the place where some great Major League Baseball players came and played. Listen, I'm proud of our heritage. I'm proud of our baseball legacy. But I want it to be grander than it is today. I don't want to just be, hey, we're talking about the glory years, and you say, you know what, man, that 85 team was great. Yeah, it was. It was great. And you know what, guys? That's forever ago now. That is over. It is completely over. And there are some of us, and I'm, and I'm, I'm you're going to say, well, Steve, you're, you're preaching here. And maybe I am. And we'll, maybe we'll pass an offering plate at the end and we'll take that money and we'll go donate it to the, uh, you know, to Duty Noble Field or whatever. And we'll just hum just as I am. And maybe we'll lead some people to the light. Guys, it's over. The 80s are over. Not to mention, we played a lot of baseball before 1985. And we were really good then, too. And I'm not saying we shouldn't honor that legacy. We should. But many of us are content to kind of hang our hat on that. I want more than that. I want us to be able to say, I want us to be able to, to, have, to play that national championship game and that ESPN camera pan through the crowd. Next thing you know, you got Clark and Palmero out there in the, in the stands high-fiving each other because they're so glad that their school finally did it. That's the memory I want. I get chills thinking about it right now. That's what I want to see. I want to see Raphael and Lynn Palmero crying in the crowd as we win a national championship. That's what I want. And I know it's what you want. I know it's what John Cohen wants. I know it's what Dr. Mark Keenum wants. And that's what makes this past weekend so ugly for us. It's just like after the Arkansas series, and this is worse. Okay, this is worse. Arkansas is the number one team in the country. It's a good measuring stick for us early, but too, I, you know, it's one of those things too. You look at it and say, you know what? That's a that's a veteran team. They came down here. They were prepared. We were a little bit shell shocked, and they whipped us. We didn't have a lot of SEC experience under our belt from a pitching standpoint. It showed. We go to Vanderbilt. Should have taken two out of three. And after what Ole Miss did to Miss Weekend, we kind of look at it and say, you know what? We let those guys off the hook. We did. 
and credit Ole Miss for doing what they needed to do. But we go up there, and even though we lost two out of three, we're thinking, you know what, we're improving. Hey, we've come a long way since Arkansas. Maybe this is the year. We went up there and did what we had to do. We didn't do what we wanted to do, but we did what we had to do. We got one. Stayed in a race to set up a month of May that we thought would be very beneficial to us. And then we get into this series against Missouri, the last place team in the SEC. And they look like the team that's surging toward Omaha. And we look like a team that's struggling to make it to Hoover. And that's difficult to take. It is very difficult to take. Because this time last week we were talking about, you know what, it's all, it's all setting up perfect for us. It's all setting up perfect. You know, Arkansas has only swept one series. They keep losing the game every weekend. If we get them to lose the game this weekend and we sweep, we're even with a weekend to go. We're thinking, you know what, man, if, if Ole Miss can take one from Vanderbilt, we're in good shape. And if somehow Ole Miss can win that series, we're good to go. Because we knew if Arkansas and Tennessee played and Arkansas took two out of three, then that would put us a game ahead of Tennessee. And then we would control our own destiny with just needing a little help from Florida. Well, all that's over with now. There is no longer any discussion about an SEC regular season championship overall, outright, or shared, because we are the team that has fallen out of the race. And we have no one to blame but ourselves. And that's the misery of the whole deal. It'd be one thing if we'd had to play, you know, Ole Miss or Arkansas or in a certain respect, LSU, even though LSU's bad this year. I mean, LSU's kind of been our daddy over the years. If we had lost a series like that, you could almost say, you know what, I kind of get it. But not this one. Not the way we lost to Missouri. And so when I think about Mississippi State baseball, I think, you know what, we're not the team that loses a series to the last place team. Now, I'm going to be fair with you about some else too, okay? I'm not going to sit here and blow smoke up your skirt. But this is the Southeastern Conference. You can't take anybody for granted on any day in this league. You can't assume a victory against anybody. You can't assume a series weekend win against anybody. You show up unprepared to play like we did this weekend, which is absolutely mind-boggling to me, considering all the things we had up for grabs and at stake, everything that was in front of us. And we go out there and get bullied in our home stadium, in that grand cathedral that we all share ownership in. We got our butts whipped. We were lucky to win a game. You can say, well, Steve, you're being a little bit hard on the team. No, I'm not. We had to come from behind on Thursday and had to have some help from them. You know, that, that big seventh inning we had, if you recall, you know, they, they walked a couple of guys. We had an infield hit here. We had a defensive miscue there. Next thing you know, we win the game. Now, I can also argue, too, that we kind of let them hang around a little bit ourselves. And maybe it's time we get into the weekend. But I know that I speak for all of you because we're all shareholders in the same enterprise, Right. And that's Mississippi State baseball. Those are the ties that bind. I mean, the chance of all of us getting together and agreeing on politics or religion or life or anything else, chances of that happen are really, really slim. But this is a united force right now for Mississippi State baseball. And, and I'm a, before I get into covering the weekend, I'm going to tell you guys something else too. And you can say, Steve, you're wrong. I reserve the right to say whatever I want to say. And you know what? You're absolutely right. You can say whatever you want to say. And so can I. 
But for you guys to go out there and attack our players on social media, if that if you're one of those people, please unfollow me on social media. Don't ever subscribe to our website. Don't ever listen to my show. I'm ashamed of you. I'm absolutely ashamed of you. Well, you know, Steve, I was just upset about the game. You know what? I hope we can design an app and, and download it to everybody's phone that, A, we don't tweet or post during a ball game, and then it precludes us from tweeting at players after a ball game. I don't care how mad you are. I don't care how disappointed you are. That is across the line. And I'm ashamed of you. If you did it, I'm ashamed of you. And if I find that you're, if I find you did it, I'm going to block you on Twitter. And that may not mean anything to you, but I don't want to be around you. I don't want to have any association or affiliation with you if you're that kind of person. I just don't. How does that get us closer to our goal? I, I just would love for somebody to explain that to me. Well, I'm going to hold them accountable. It's not your place to hold them accountable. Who are you? Well, you know, Steve, I, I you know, I've been a state fan my whole life. Okay, so that doesn't give you the license to go tweet at one of our kids that feels worse than you could possibly imagine about this past weekend. Do you think that makes them feel any better? Do you think that inspires them to go play better this weekend against Alabama? You know what it does? It makes Mississippi State look bad. We talk about we got the greatest fans in the country until we lose. Until we lose, then we turn on our own. We do the Ole Miss thing. It's ridiculous, man. It's absolutely ridiculous. And if, and if that, that hurts your feelings, I don't care. You're wrong. You are absolutely wrong. There is no way you're right in that situation. And I've seen some of that. It's absolutely ridiculous. You know what? You want to get on there and you want to get upset with Chris Lomonos and Scott Foxhall? That's one thing. I don't think you should tweet at him either. But you know what? If you want to vent your frustrations at a grown man, then so be it. But to go attack one of our players, multiple players, big man, I tell you, awfully tough behind that keyboard, aren't you, keyboard cowboy? I'm going to tell them how I feel. You know what? How you feel doesn't mean anything. It's just like peeing down your leg. You're the only one that feels it. But let's go out here and spread our cancer. Let's go out here. You know, hey, this kid booted a ball, so I'm going to go tweet at him. This kid struck out swinging in a big situation. So let me go post on Facebook and tag his parents. Right? You say, Steve, you're getting overboard. No, I'm not. I'm just getting warmed up. That's one of those things that irritates me to no end. And I know there are going to be some say, oh, I don't, I'm so tired of Steve being so preachy. What, turn the show off. Turn it off. Block me. I don't care. Because here's the deal. I'm true maroon. 100%. Now, I'm not some Pollyanna either. I'll call a spade a shovel. If I don't think that something's right, I'll tell you. And you know what? We didn't bring a good effort this weekend. We got our butts whipped, and it's our fault. I give Missouri credit for coming up here bringing the game. They're not good enough to beat us without our help. And we gave, we gave it away, man. We did. We showed up, and, by, and two, your two biggest leaders on the team, Tanner Allen and Rowdy Jordan, admitted as such we thought we could show up and just roll over them. That's exactly what Rowdy Jordan said. T.A. made the comment on Friday night. says, you know what? We thought we could just show up at home and the crowd would beat them. So there is blame to go around. But that doesn't give you license or permission to go tweet at one of these young men and say, you know, 
you're trash or you're a waste of a scholarship or whatever, or you should transfer. That, that behavior is beneath Mississippi State Bulldogs. That's not who we are. And if that's who you thought we were, you need to go find somebody else to cheer for. That's not who we are. I get fired up. I got a strong opinion about this, guys. I'm not going to lie to you. And maybe it's because I'm a father. And maybe it's because my children have been harassed on social media by Ole Miss people trying to get at me. You may recall there was a situation where somebody in my family had to file a lawsuit against somebody. You know what? I may be getting ready to file some more. How about that? Not against you guys. But, you know, I'm just one of those kind of people. Maybe I can't take it. But I also am the father of a former college baseball player. And here's the thing that I know. I coached him in high school. I was a hitting coach in high school you know, before I had all this hair, right? And you know what he did? So he was a four-year starter. He was a three-year first-team all-district. He was a two-year all-metro player. And as a senior, he was all-state in the state of Louisiana in a baseball-crazy town like Baton Rouge. And you know what he did? At times, he made errors. At times, he hung a breaking ball. At times, his emotions got the better of him. At times, he didn't practice as much as he should have or as hard as he should have. He didn't spend as much time in the cage. And sometimes, he swung and missed the pitches that he shouldn't have. But you know what? I loved him just the same. But I also told him the truth because it was my role to do it because I was his coach and his father. And you know what? You, want, you wanted to get me fired up? Let me go find something on social media even in the, in the infancy of social media. And you know what I would do, guys? I'd have some of my players that would bring stuff that other rival schools would say about our kids, and I would read it to our players. I would. And not for the reasons that you think, but I wanted them to know that I had their back. I didn't go tweet at teenagers. I said, you know what? This is trash, and the person that sent this is trash. But we're going to be better than this because we're not going to respond with more trash. We're not going to do it. But you know what? To this day, the greatest days of my life were watching my kid play high school baseball, following him around the country, watching him play college baseball. And there is nothing anybody could ever do to rob that joy from me. But I'll tell you this, he didn't play on this biggest stage, so we didn't have to deal with it the way that some of these people do. But I can tell you, I talk to these parents because, you know, the road baseball thing, sometimes I get out there and, like, there's only, there's only a handful of maroon people there, and they're your baseball parents wearing your M over S, representing you and your school and your program and the team that you claim to love. And those are the people you're trashing. Man, get out of here with that. You're wrong. There ain't no way you can be right about it. And so we get out here on Facebook, and I and I, lo- I love it. And one day, I'm just you know, I'm 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 one one bad day away from just losing it in somebody's Facebook groups. Oh my gosh, I'm so close. Because I'll notice some of these people, they will get in the Facebook groups, and then they will trash these kids, and then go to their parents' Facebook walls, who they have. The only reason they've friend requested them is because they're baseball parents. And then they go over there and they have some little kind word to say. What a hypocrite. I'm going to go trash the kids. And then I'm going to go make nice with their parents. So when I see them at the ball games, I can smile and hug their neck and say, oh, it's all going to be okay. You're the problem. You were the problem. That's what you don't understand. 
It's just, I mean, bad people do those sorts of things. They do. Be consistent what you do. If you're going to try. All right, Bulldog fans, our friends from Tecovis want to remind you that uh, it's festival season, it's concert season, it's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort, so no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tacovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Let's face it, friends. We live in uncertain times. Security, probably more important now than ever before. That's why it's important to keep you, your family, your property safe by working with my friends at Eufy. That's E-U-F-Y.com. Let me tell you a little bit about this new video smart lock they have. It's super cool because basically you get a three-in-one security system here. You can have everything on just one device instead of having it outside of your house look rather tacky because you got all kinds of stuff out there. It's not just about your security, but convenience. No more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members and you can see who's kind of coming and going. You got that immigrated camera too. Uh, it's easy to install. You can set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. You know, you don't have to go to a class on how to use power tools. No drilling required. You get keyless entry. You don't have to worry about fumbling with the keys when you're getting back with a, an armful of groceries, right? How convenient is that? That in and of itself is a great benefit. You get fingerprint recognition. It's unlocking. Got that AI self-learning chip. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You don't have to worry about the battery. It's got a rechargeable battery that can last around four months. And you get a notification before it runs out so you don't have to compromise your family security. You got passcode unlocking, remote control, 2K clear sight, camera. You can see who's at your door. You see these videos online all the time. Don't you think it's time for you to set something up so you can have the peace of mind of knowing that you don't have people constantly going in and out of your property? There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee, you can have your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage. How cool is that? It's convenient, it's safe, it's a must-have for your home today. If you already have like a video doorbell, you know sometimes people want to come and steal your, your doorbell. You don't have to worry about with, that with this. All right, so let's be sure to visit Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y official.com forward slash video lock. And it's time for you to gain control of your door. Again, that's Eufy. E-U-F-Y. Ask their kid behind their back. Do it to their face. It's ridiculous. All right, so let's run it down real quick here. It's going to be a longer show, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to belabor the point about this series. I don't want to talk about it any more than you guys do. But, uh, you know, we get out there, and I, th- I thought Christian, uh, you know, 
gave us a fighting chance early on. You know, we, um, we we made some mistakes behind them. But, you know, we get out there in the first inning, and it's two quick outs, three pitches. We give up a single, and then we commit an error. So now all of a sudden my pitcher's got to get an extra out. Then we have a wild pitch, and then uh, we finally get out. It was a crazy inning. You recall bases loaded because we made an error and then this kind of bit of a freak show ball that um, Logan couldn't pick up. You know, we thought it was going to be a foul ball, but, uh, you know, we get out of it with a long at bat when we get the strikeout. So I give some, Christian some credit for kind of fighting through some adversity there. And, of course, he's the one that gets blamed, you know, the, when the shortstop makes an error and when a freaky play happens, he gets blamed on all that. We get out and get a couple runs there in the first inning. Uh, really a good job kind of getting started. Rowdy gets a single, T.A. gets a double, and we're thinking, you know what, we're fixing to blow this game open early. We had a chance to. Runners in second, third. Cam James hits a ground ball to the right side, drives in a run. Luke Hancock singles, and it's a Trenton ball game. So we're off and running. We feel pretty good about that. We get right back into second. We get a quick ground out, and then we walk a guy, and we have the stolen base. We throw the ball into the outfield, and all of a sudden he goes to third. So we made an error there. So we put a guy on third. There is a single to the left. The run scores unearned, and then we throw the next guy out, stealing, and we get a fly out. We get out of it. But you know what? There's a run aided by an error. If it's a single to left and a runner at second, chances are he's not going to score. Okay, so bottom of second, we don't do anything. Uh, we get to the top of th- third here, and they tie the ball game up. And, and this is where I thought Christian began to elevate a little bit. We give up a single, a single. Then you get a fly out, they tag and go, and then they, they pop up the bunt. And so we've already got you know two outs in the inning here. It's just a matter of us getting out of here. And this is when they run the UAAA baseball play, and they send the runner to second, and uh, we throw the ball away. And then the, the, they steal home. So it makes it a 3-2 ball game. And then we walk a guy, and we give up a single, and now it's a 3-2 ball game. Then, again, we get two outs in the inning, and we make an error to extend the inning and then McLeod has to pitch three more hitters. Bottom of third, we didn't do anything. Top of four, we bring in uh, Brandon Smith, who has been really good as of late. I know we took the loss to South Carolina, but, you know, he shouldn't have been in that situation in the first place. We should have already won the ball game. Uh, so he gets a one, two, three inning there in the top of four. We go one, two, three in the bottom of four, top of five. They, get, they do get a run on us. Um, we give up a double to left, and then there's a ground out, the center runner around. There's a single at the middle, and it's really the only clean run they score. They do score another one a little bit later on the um, on the wild pitch. Excuse me. I'm wrong there. They just get the one run that inning. Excuse me. I'm getting off my game here. Bottom of five, uh, we go one. We get a walk, and then, um, you know, we're out. We get a foul out from Braylon Skinner. We get a walk. We get fly out, fly out. Top of six. We bring in uh, Preston Johnson, who I think, if, if you're asking me, I think we move him from the setup role to closing out game two. Um, it's just my honest opinion. we got to have somebody that can close on the games that Landon Sims can. Uh, and so he comes in and is absolutely outstanding. Three Ks, absolutely phenomenal effort for him. Comes back. Um, we, don't, we don't score in the sixth, but we come back in the seventh, and Preston Johnson, outstanding again, does have the one four-pitch walk, but strikes out the side. In two innings of work, he really looked good, really looked good. Now, I'm really excited about his potential long-term. I think he's going to be a big-time player for us. He's already establishing himself as a good bullpen arm for us. 
Uh, bottom of seven is when State makes the run here. So we open up with a four-pitch walk to Skinner, Rowdy K's, and then T.A. flies out. So you got a runner at first with two down. Ordinarily, that'd be trouble for us, but that's one of the things that I think sometimes we begin to kind of feel like if, unless Rowdy and T.A. are involved, we can't score. That's not really the case. It's one of those truisms that's not true. So Cam James singles, and then uh, Skinner goes to second. They throw the ball away. And now we got runners on the corners. And then there's a wild pitch that sends Cam up. So now you got two men on in scoring position with two outs. Luke Hancock works the walk. Luke's still the most difficult guy in the Bulldog lineup to strike out. So now the bases are loaded. We just need the big hit. And, um, you know, Skinner's already scored on the wild pitch. I skipped that line, made it a 4-3 ball game. And so then Logan Tanner walks, bases are loaded. And, and then Scotty DeBrule, who has been electric for us down the stretch here, uh, drives in the run there. And uh, – and see, so here's the thing, too, about that scenario that I think is rather interesting. See, I think this is where the Missouri pitcher made a mistake. With two outs on a 2-2 count, I'm not going to throw my breaking ball in the dirt. That's my action pitch, okay? And what I mean by that is I'm going to pitch the contact there. I'm going to throw my best swing and miss pitch in the strike zone. I'm not going to bury the breaking ball there, especially with the bases loaded. I've already had a wild pitch, allowed a run to score. So, and, and here's the reason why. Because on 2-2, the runners aren't going. And so if I get a routine ground ball somewhere, I'm going to be able to force a runner at any base. If I wait until it's a full count and everybody's going, really, and more times than not, I got one play and that's the first base. That's exactly what happens here. Because the runners are going, you get that ball back up the middle and the guy has to range to his right and then throw left, you have no shot. On 2-2, He's going to take that and flip it to second, and you're going to force the runner at second. Hindsight's always 20-20, but in that situation, the action pitch should be on 2-2, not on 3-2. And I thought he made a big mistake there and ultimately cost in the ball game. State takes the lead there and makes it 5-4. Top of eight, we bring in Landon Sims, and at this point, ball game's over. Strikeout swinging. We don't do anything in the eighth, and then we get out of it 1-2-3 there in the ninth. And so we win the ball game, but again, we're kind of fortunate because of the fact that um, they helped us a little bit. But if we're being fair, we helped them a lot too. They scored the one clean run in the ball game. Every other one was uh, aided by our own uh, ineptitude. You know, we made some mistakes at time and extended innings and forced our starting pitcher uh, to go deeper in counts and to go deeper in innings. And so when you begin to look at this thing and you can say, man, you know, Steve, uh, Christian McLeod, didn't have a quality start again. Well, we had some self-inflicted wounds that added to his adversity. And so those are the things you begin to think about. You know, it's like, yeah, we, we needed a longer start, which we do, but we've got to play cleaner behind him. Uh, you know, Christian goes three innings. And so here's the thing that I began to think about. You know, if uh, if we make a couple plays early in the ball game, maybe that turns into four or five innings, and that's one less inning the bullpen's got to throw. And so I can save that and let somebody else uh, – now use that that appearance a little bit later in the weekend. All right, so let's go to game number two here. And this is one, you know, we absolutely gave this one away too. We did. I absolutely gave this one away. I don't think anybody would disagree. So, again, we'll go quick through this one. Stone Simmons gets a loss on this one, and I think Stone probably deserved a little bit better. I think Stone's going to be a good arm for us. Okay, so – uh, nothing doing for them in the first, but uh, I thought – I didn't think Bednar had his best stuff, but I thought he kind of grinded through here for us and, uh, and did a good job. 
So we get the K look in a line out. We walk a guy. We get up a single, and then we we battle right back and get a strikeout. Uh, so again, there's some traffic on the base paths, but we're kind of able to to fight through it. Uh, we get a walk to open the ball game, and then we go single, and then we get a double play, and then we get a ground out. So again, Rowdy and TA kind of getting the started off, and then we're not able to kind of push them across. We get instead of them getting double and triple, we get the uh, walk and the single. We hit into the ground the double play there. Uh, top of second, we get in a little trouble here. So we get day singles. Man flies out, so we got one. And then Wilsmeyer strikes out, so there's two outs in the inning. We're a pitch away from getting back in the dugout. Then hold doubles to right. They hold the runner at third. Now there's runners to second and third. And there's a single to right, and there's a balk, and then we finally get out of it. And so this is a situation, really, where Bednar, um, you know, got behind the guy and got a little predictable in the count and gave up a couple of hits. But, uh, you know, we had a chance to get out of this thing with no trouble. Uh, Verling, I thought, was outstanding for them. That's their uh, second baseman and uh, leadoff hitter. He's in a one-two count there, and he finds a way to uh, to push that ball to right field and uh, drive a couple runs in. So we're chasing the game already. Bottom of second, we go one-two-three. That's Logan Tanner, Scott DeBrule, and Brad Cumbust. Uh, top of three, we get a case swinging, give up a single, and then we we force the runner a walk, and then we get out of it. Bottom third, this is when State kind of makes a move here. And this is when I felt like after this inning, I thought, you know what, we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. Bednar is starting to settle in. We kind of figured some things out pitching. Uh, so we reach on an error, Kellum Clark, who I think is, is going to bring a different dynamic to the lineup from the left-handed side. I think he's a really talented left-handed power hitter. And I think that he is going to be a star for us in years to come. So I'm glad that he's healthy. I'm glad that he's had some ABs. I'm glad he's contributing. But he reaches on an error here, and then Forsyth strikes out looking. I'm not going to just beat Lane Forsyth up, but we take way too many called third strikes, way too many. Uh, Rowdy walks, and then he goes on a wild pitch. And so we got now we got runners at second and third with uh, with just the one out, and then Ta triples down the right field line, drives him in. The game is tied. Cam James walks, still second. Hancock then grounds out, drives in the run. Ground ball to the right side. And then Logan Tanner singles, drives in another one. It's a 4-2 ball game. And I really felt at this point we would take over. I thought, okay, we're good to go. Let's knock this thing out. We give up the uh, the bunt single and then the steal. But we, again, bear down, strike out, ground out, ground out, we're out of the inning and on to the bottom of four. We begin to kind of nurse the lead a little bit, begin to kind of tack on some. And, again, you go through this thing. Cumbus opens up with a double on a full count. That's great. Great for Cumbus. Goes third on the pass ball, and you're thinking, okay, we just need a you know, fly ball here. We get a fly ball, but it's a short right, not, not deep enough. But um, we make a little bit of a mistake here, and we're running on contact here. And, and I'm sure it's a called play ahead of time. You know, and to give the guy credit, the pitcher for, for Mizzou, Forsyth – taps it back to the mound. He grabs it barehanded and throws on and compasses out pretty substantially. You know, and, again, it's easy to beat up Cheeseboro on that too, but, you know, more times than not, that's what you're thinking. We're going on contact. Ground ball, we're going on contact. you got to see it through a little bit, but, you know, here's the thing. If you wait to the shortstop's got it, you're pegged at the plate. It's just one of those timing things. It didn't work out for us, and how big would that have run been for us later? Because then Rowdy doubles and drives in lane. It would have driven in both runs and make it a 6-4 ball game instead it's a 5-4 ball game. Lamonis mentioned that, not that play specifically, but said, you know what, we should have been up 6-2, excuse me. 
We should have been up 6-2 in the, in the, in the fifth. And then Bednar has a good inning here. We get a strikeout, give up a single, a fly out, a ground out. So we're pitching around the, uh, the one-hit hit there, the one-hit single, excuse me, one-out single. Bottom five, we don't do anything. We, uh, we, have, we had a little bit of a two-out rally there. We get a walk to Logan Tanner, then the Brule singles, and then Combus pops up. There was a lot of pop-ups to that. They did a really good job of getting us out on our front foot. But some of this, too, and this is not indicative necessarily of Brad, I thought we had a lot of selfish swings as a team, especially on Sunday, on Saturday, excuse me. And what I mean by that is we got a lot of guys looking to hit jacks instead of just going up there and trying to find a way on base and just kind of move the order along. And uh, I think that's one of the things Lamontis has to address. Top of six, you bring in Cam Tuller and uh, just really didn't have a good outing. He has been good as of late, was good at South Carolina. Gives it the bunt single, then there's a hit by pitch. We get a strikeout because they gave it to us. He tried to bunt with two strikes. We bring in uh, Stinnett here, and I question this decision, and I don't question very many, but there are a couple that I kind of question, and this is one of them. I think Parker Stinnett is one of those guys that's better with a clean sheet. I just don't think – I think he's a guy that almost needs to face a hitter or two before he's really ready to go. And so we bring him in, and there's already traffic on the bases. And so he walks the first guy to load the bases. And then we have a wild pitch, gives them a run. We get a ground out, another run scores. Now it's a 5-5 ball game. And then um, we give give up an infield hit, and another run scores. And so – all of this happened. You know, Cam didn't have a good start. Cam Tuller didn't have a good start to the inning. And then we bring in Sinet, and he kind of compounded the misery there. So this is where I thought we were in trouble. But we weren't. We come right back. I mentioned Kellum Clark earlier. Uh, the very first pitch he sees in the sixth knocks uh, Halverson out of the ball game. It is a long fly ball to right field that makes it a 6-6 ball game. You're thinking, okay, we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. They bring in Ash, Connor Ash, a former starter of theirs, and uh, he gets out of it. We do give we get a couple of runs, runners on with two outs. TA gets a single and then Cam James walks. And again, it's you know, it seems like I mention this a lot. You know, but to hear social media talk, you would think Cam James contributes nothing. Uh, people forget sometimes he's a freshman, but here he is again trying to keep a two-out rally alive. And then Luke Hancock strikes out looking on what I thought was a bad call. Uh, but be that as it may, probably too close to take, right? And so chance there to, uh, again, take the lead. We don't. We get into the seventh, and we do a pretty good job here. We do have the walk, but, um, you know, we get – we get two Ks to get out of it. It's a, you know, a ground out and um, you know, a couple of punch outs there. But, uh, you know, Stinnett, again, you give him a clean inning and he does a pretty good job for you. Again, he, there's going to be a guy get on base with him usually. You know, he's he just one of those kind of guys that uh, sometimes control is elusive. Bottom of seven, we go one, two, three. We get to the eighth. We bring in Stone Simmons, gives up a single, a fly out. We get a double play, and we're out of the inning. We're thinking, okay, bottom of eight, let's go score a run or two here and get out of here with the win. And uh, let Lennon Sims close it out in the ninth, right? Well, Clark pops out, Forsyth gets a single, and then Rowdy's hit by the pitch. You're thinking, okay, we got two men on here with less than two outs. We're going to get a run home. We don't. T.A. grounds out, and then Cam James strikes out swinging after, I think, a nine-pitch at bat. 
they finally get him on a change. They couldn't finish him with a fastball and finally get him on a change. He had fouled off one earlier in the at-bat. So it's 6-6 going to the ninth. And Stone Simmons, you know, again, he's been really good for us. But for some reason, he was elevating pitches this inning. You get the single to left, single to right, and then all of a sudden you know we're in trouble. Uh, they get the sack bunt down. And it was just really a matter of whether they're going to score one or two. And then there is uh, there's a ground ball. You know, we pull the infield in. There's a ground ball. We don't field it. It goes off the heel of a glove. The run scores. And then we, we, we have a chance in the ninth to think, okay, let's go make something happen and, and maybe send this thing to the tenth. And we've got the heart of the order up. And you got, you know, you got, what, three, four, five, a four, five, six up there. And uh, we go meekly and quietly there. And I think at that point, everybody said, listen, we didn't play well. We still should have won the ball game. We got to come back on game three and bounce back. We didn't. <laughs> we absolutely didn't. And uh, these are the things that stay with you. It's like I'm, I'm with all of you. I was thinking, okay, here's the deal. We will uh, we'll figure this thing out. We'll rally the troops. You know, we, we won Thursday. We didn't play well, but we found a way to win. We didn't play well Friday, and we still should have found a way to win. We didn't. I'm not going to talk a lot about this game three because it makes me sick to my stomach. But one of the things that I want to say is one of the things that we talked about on the show. I know some of you guys think I don't know baseball, and that's okay. You can be wrong if you want to. I shared with you guys before the way that this thing works with Houston Harding is, is he is better out of the bullpen on an SEC weekend. He's been good midweek, but he does not have a plus fastball against SEC hitters. And so he needs the benefit of coming out of the pen. It's like we've talked about. You let Presto start, get you through the order once, maybe twice if he can. And then, you know, they're going to put some left-handers in the lineup and you bring Hootie in and he chews those left-handers up. Well, we put Hootie as a starter. And so what did Mizzou do? Mizzou stacks nine right-handed hitters against him. Nine. And let's just kind of run through a couple of these things here. Just, and I'm not going to beat the kid up because I think Hootie is outstanding. He is a, a really fun guy. But, you know, we get to this thing and the guy's a c- complete competitor. But we get to this deal here. You give up a single and you get a fly out. And then you get a ground ball back to the pitcher just tailor-made, you know, for a 1-6-3. And then we boot it and ultimately give up two runs. And the thing that you look at, too, is, you know, we're not missing many bats here. You get a ground out, give up a single, and then you get a foul out. And so we get to the second, and you're thinking, okay, we've survived that, we'll be okay. Well, we give up runs that inning too. And you get into the second here, and those are the things that I, you know, that I just it, – it drives me crazy sometimes to look at this stuff, and it looks like the, the stupid thing is not going to work for me. But um, we give up a run in the second, and then we give up five in the third. And so Harding takes the loss. He had been 5-1 and one on the year. But it's just one of those things where I think the formula was okay. If you look at how good he has been out of the bullpen in relief, you can kind of see why. And I think a lot of that, too, is, you know, you, you just can't give them the, the option to know what's coming. Those are the things that stick with me. You know, those are the things that I, I finally got to work here. So we get to the second, right? We give a ground out, a home run. We get a K look and give up a single, a hit by pitch, and a ground out. So, again, these guys are putting the ball in play. They are consistently putting the ball in play. 
Because, again, you've got a guy that doesn't have a plus fastball throwing to a lineup full of right-handers. You get to the third, double, fielder's choice, RBI single. We walk a guy, another fielder's choice, and then we give up the home run. I mean, a grand slam there. And, you know, at this point you begin to – you work through all this stuff and you kind of realize, you know, we got some trouble. You know, and so – I say all that to say this, is that either let's blow up the weekend rotation completely, which I don't think we should. I think sometimes our starting pitching is a little bit unfairly maligned because of how bad we've been defensively at times. And you know what? Maybe we go back to letting Cam James be the DH. Maybe that's the way to go. Uh, I think Cam is one of those guys now that's probably thinking a little bit too much. I think Tanner Leggett is really good at third base. I think, again, he's not going to make the spectacular play, but he is going to make the routine play and more times than not going to make the really good play. But if that's what we got to do, that's what we got to do. You know, and Tanner Leggett had a big hit for us on uh, Saturday as well. And so I say all that to say this. is like, you know, baseball is a year-long learning process. You don't just pick your best nine in spring camp and say, okay, this is our group and let's go with it. You have to adjust over the course of the year. You have injuries. You have guys that go in slumps. You have guys that go in funks. And, you know, I look at what Scotty DeBrule did, and granted, Scotty is a graduate, okay? We had the issue with the pop-up, right? And ever since he sat for a couple ball games, and I think part of that, too, is we had Tanner Leggett playing second, who was outstanding at the time. I think it made it that much more difficult for Chris to put DeBrill back in lineup, but DeBrill's a better offensive player. And so I think Scotty realizes, you know what, I got another chance here, and so I'm not, I'm not going to give it up again. And so I think he learns from it. As a veteran guy, he goes, you know what, I didn't transfer to Mississippi State to just sit here. And so he got better. He got better because of the move. You know what? Things weren't working out with Josh Hatcher at first, and I hate it because Josh is such a good guy. I mean, he really is. But you know what? We start working Luke Hancock in some in practice. We let him take some in and out in pregame. Next thing you know, he's our first baseman. Has he had a couple of issues? Yes, he has, but you've got a catcher playing first. He also dug a ball out of the dirt on Saturday that uh, probably he wouldn't have been able to do a month ago. But you know what? we got to go with the cleanest lineup we can get defensively. And maybe that means uh, maybe that means Kellum Clark's got playing left. But I think you need his bat in the lineup, especially when you're you're facing right-handers. You know, and that's the thing too is you know, you know Brad has had stretches at times, been really good. Brewin Skinner's had some stretches at times, he's been good. And maybe it's a matchup deal, maybe it's week to week, whatever it is. But I think we've got to settle the infield. I think that's got to happen. I think we got to settle the infield. Listen, Lane Forsyth is a great defender. And he has made some mistakes in recent weeks. And you know what? This is a kid, too, that's playing at an incredibly high level in a very pressure-packed situation. I'm not ready to give up on that kid by any stretch of the imagination. Is it maybe mad sometimes? Yeah, it does. Not mad enough to go tweeting, though, Mr. Fan. But I think Lane Forsyth is going to be fine. He's playing before he was expected to. And so you got to expect with a young player out there, there's going to be some up and down. And there's been some down, but there's also been some plays he's made that I don't know that anybody else could have made. Does he pat the ball sometimes a little too much? Yeah, probably so. But it's just like South Carolina. You know, we, we dropped the ball at first. Luke muffs it. And nobody felt worse about it than Luke did. Well, then the next throw from Lane, if we're thinking, okay, this one's got to be absolutely perfect. 
And so then we airmail the throw, you know, we're figuring some things out late. And, it, and to be honest with you, some of this defensive stuff has cost us an SEC championship. We are not playing SEC championship defense, and as a result, we're not going to win the SEC championship. And listen, there's, this team has some warts. There are no perfect teams. But as inconsistent as starting pitching has been, some of that has been associated with the fact that uh, I think some of these guys feel like they've got to strike a lot of guys out. I think they feel like, you know what, i got to finish these hitters rather than just letting the defense work for me because, some t- hey, listen, I go out here and I get two outs and I roll up a ground ball, and next thing you know, i got to face another hitter. It's difficult to stay engaged all the time emotionally. That's how it all works. But, listen, this was a dreadful weekend, and it will cost us the SEC championship. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And from the beginning of this season, I've talked about it. I thought that we had a chance to win this thing. We absolutely did, and we blew it. There's no other way to feel good about it. We blew it. All right, let's get in top ten list. Talk about something else. Top ten list brought to you by JohnnyPacker.com. I met with John on uh, Saturday, I guess it was, after the ball game. And I had a chance to visit with him for a little while. Doing good, man. John's doing great. Uh, CF is, uh, is kind of abated for now. You know, it's something he's going to have to live with forever. But uh, lung function is, is improving. And uh, he's a guy, too, that, you know, here a couple years ago, we didn't know he'd be around anymore. And so, johnnypacker.com, that's your home for sunglasses. And, and you guys have been buying sunglasses, and there's a couple things they wanted me to, to share with you guys. Is that, let's say for an example, if you go to the website and it shows that certain sunglasses are sold out, that means that the in-house inventory is sold out. But... It's just a matter of a couple of days for them to get you some more. So let's say, for an example, if you pull up and you want the Greenwood frames and it's, oh, it's sold out, I can't get it. You just click on that Contact Us link and say, hey, John, I really want to get those Greenwood glasses and they'll get, they'll get you taken care of. Simple as that. Because you guys have been buying glasses. And so sometimes they're not able to keep up with the inventory. And so, again, if you go on there and you see the glasses you really want, don't settle for and say, well, you know, I'll just get these. No, get the ones you really want. So hit that contact us link there, email them, and they will and just tell them exactly what you want, and they can get it for you in a matter of a few days. Simple as that. And again, use promo code Boneyard to get 10% off your purchase. So that's traveling information you need to know. Go to the website, johnnypacker.com, use promo code Boneyard, save 10%. But again, if you see the glasses you want and they show sold out, they can still get them for you. Okay, simple as that. And so he wanted to make sure you guys knew that because there are some people who are saying, hey, I wanted these, but doesn't matter. They can still get them for you. All right, top 10 list, Eric Clapton. And I can't remember who sent me this. I have so many of you guys. I've got, I need to keep a better list. I send Roy the names. I need to do a better job of sending him your names. But many of you don't want credit. You just want the list. So we're doing Eric Clapton today. Now, I got a little bit of cream here but it's mostly the Eric Clapton solo stuff. I do have a, uh, a Yardbirds track and the honorable mentions. But when I began to put this list together, man, I was really proud of the list. But as extensive as his catalog is, I know some of you are not going to hear your favorite songs. You're going to say, Steve, how did you miss this? Well, number one, I'm, I'm younger than most of you that are big Eric Clapton fans. And so please don't judge me too harshly. But these are my favorite Eric Clapton songs and I think everybody has a favorite Eric Clapton song and it's such a diverse catalog but it's also true to the blues man and that's one of the things that I love about it 
It's just it's it's good driving music, but it's good anytime in music. So here are our honorable mentions. Pretending is one. I shot the sheriff. That's a cover song of Bob Marley's, which is why it's in a reggae beat. But he does a great job of it. For your love is from the Yardbirds, and what's ironic is that Clapton left the Yardbirds the same day this song was released as a single. Uh, Change the World with Babyface, that was a great one. That was a huge hit for them. After Midnight, that goes back to 1970. I know some people are going to say, Steve, how could you leave that off top 10? It was number 11. And then uh, My Father's Eyes, a nice uh, track from some of the later albums. So here we go. And listen, I go back. Man, there's so many of these. I've juggled with the order a little bit on the back half, but the top five, I I think, are, are, are just ironclad. So here we go, number 10. From the the Color of Money soundtrack, that's the uh, Tom Cruise, Paul Newman movie about being uh, pool sharks. It's in the way that you use it. Great video, too. Go check it out. Number nine, I've Got a Rock and Roll Heart. That, I mean, that's, uh, that goes back to my childhood, man. I remember hearing that song on, my, on the radio, man. The stereo in the living room. You, know, you wake up in the morning, mama's cleaning the house. Number eight, another one that goes back, man. I, and I love the guitar on this one, but it's I Can't Stand It. Number seven, and, and when I was a kid, I used to, what, what I liked most about it was the backing vocals on the chorus. But it's Lay Down Sally and Rest Her In My Arms. Uh, number six, this is uh, one that means a lot to me, and uh, it's a song called Tears in Heaven, and it's about Eric Clapton's son, Connor. So when I was young in sobriety, I was a big Rolling Stones subscriber, and uh, back when they were about music, but I used to look forward to getting that Rolling Stone issue once a week and uh, got the episode with Eric Clapton episode, the, the issue with Eric Clapton. And so he talked about the death of his son, Connor. And he was one of the first people on the scene. And, you know, of course, Connor had fallen out of a, uh, off a balcony of a high-rise condominium and, uh, and died. And uh, as you can imagine, how horrific that would be. And so Eric Clapton wrote this song about his son, Connor. And I get chills even talking about it now. But they asked him how he coped. And he said, you know, I went to a lot of AA meetings and I called my sponsor a lot. And I thought then, I made a real commitment to myself then, as I read that article, I said, man, if he can stay sober through that, I don't have any excuses. If Eric Clapton can see his poor dead child dead on a sidewalk, and then deal with all the guilt of, you know, why didn't we have somebody watching them or whatever? And, of course, they did because you always blame yourself. And I thought, you know what? The problems in my life are so mundane and mediocre. I don't have anything that compares to this. And, God, please let nothing ever happen to my children like this. But I just made a commitment then. I said, you know what? If Eric Clapton can work his program after experiencing the most horrific heartbreak of all time, I don't have any excuses to drink. Number five, going back to the cream years, it's the sunshine of your love. You know, in Living Color, excuse me, Living Color does a great rendition of this one as well. But uh, Sunshine of Your Love from Cream, a great, great track. Number four, one of the greatest love songs ever written. It's Wonderful Tonight. And uh, it's like you can just hear the guitar singing in your head right now, right? Everybody knows that signature sound of that song. And uh, it's one of those great songs, man, it's about a man's love for his woman. Absolutely love that song. Number three, and maybe it's because I'm an addict, but it's cocaine. 
Love the riff on this one. I love the live version probably more so than the studio version. I'm sure you guys do as well. Number two, going back to the cream years, it's White Room. I love the vocal on this one too, but I think this shows kind of the, uh, maybe more the alternative rock side of Eric Clapton. Number one though, I think most people would probably agree this is number one. And it's a song that uh, is rumored to be about an extramarital affair that Eric Clapton had, I guess with George Harrison's wife, I believe is correct. But it's a song, Layla. And uh, it is an absolutely wonderful song, regardless of the content. The music behind this one is phenomenal. So that's your top 10 list. Hope you guys dig it. Thanks so much for the suggestion. I'm surprised we haven't done this one before now. It's like I think to myself, you know, we've done some of these other bands and we've done some of these uh, pop singers, but we hadn't done old Slowhand himself, man. And it's, uh, I'm happy to do it. So thanks for the suggestion. And I hope you guys dig the list. And for some of you young bucks out there, if you know just a little bit about Eric Clapton, listen to this list. Roy will have the Spotify link up a little bit later. And uh, take some time through your work day to day or your drive home and listen to some of these songs. And then you can go home and, and or text your, old, your parents and say, hey, I really dig this Eric Clapton song. And they'll be really proud and wonder how you found this new knowledge of yours. All right, let's look around the league. This segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmark. Stan the Miss Kathy Brown, lovely, talented Susie. And I still keep forgetting to go by there to see Stan. I need to go by there and see him. And I'm sure that Susie's already ate my peanuts again. Uh, but either way, I need to go by and see them. And I meant to go by there last week because I needed to buy some gear. I hadn't done it yet. But I will do my best to get by there this week. A busy week for us, obviously, with the home games Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday which is a good chance for you to come to town and go by and see those guys yourself. If you can't make it to town, let me encourage you to outfit your family in the latest in maroon and white fashions by going to campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll save you a little cash. Use promo code BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders, over $50, any order less than 50 bucks, absolutely incomplete. Again, that's campusbookmart.net, promo code BSR. All right, let's look around the league here, and uh, I'll give you a quick rundown, too, of some other teams of note that you need to be mindful of in the uh, 20 regional hosting sites. You know, there will be 16 of the 20 will be selected. We will be one of the 16. So regardless of what you read on Facebook, we're going to be fine. All right, so Tennessee loses two out of three at home to Arkansas. There was a little bit of a brouhaha after the game. Dave Van Horn, Tony Vitello had some words. Uh, that's two high-strong alpha dogs there. Not the least bit surprised by that. Vanderbilt loses two out of three to Ole Miss. And now Vanderbilt now a game out of first place in the win column. Florida takes two out of three from Georgia. They're now 17-10, and 10, tied with Mississippi State. South Carolina sweeps the series from Kentucky, which was absolutely horrendous for Kentucky. South Carolina now 15 and 12 in the league. Georgia drops 12 and 15 after their series loss to Florida. Uh, they do win the Sunday game, which helps Mississippi State out a little bit. Kentucky now 11 and 16 in the league, and, and dare we say it, Missouri now 7 and 20 after winning a couple in Starkville. Arkansas, of course, 19 and 8, leading the SEC now by themselves with one weekend to play. Of course, they've got a difficult weekend ahead. So I, I could see a scenario where Tennessee wins a series. And Arkansas loses a series and they share the title, I can see it. 
Mississippi State now 17 and 10. You wouldn't know it by looking at social media. You would have thought we had to give some wins back. We don't. 17 and 10 and still a chance to get to 20. Uh, Ole Miss still a game behind Mississippi State, 16 and 11, even though I think the Rebels really took a big step forward towards hosting. I really thought they would lose that series to Vanderbilt. And to their credit, they had that, what, 10-run second or third inning that really kind of gave them some separation. Vanderbilt did come back a little bit, but Ole Miss just kept tacking on, put the game away. And listen, you tipped your cap for them. Those guys did a good job. Alabama loses a series to LSU. They're now 12 and 14. The Tigers, 11 and 16. And I told you guys a month ago that LSU was going to stack some wins in May. And then they had a couple of rough weekends. Everybody's like, but Steve – you know what? But you, here they are, stacking wins, as we expected. They go to A&M this next weekend. There's going to be a lot at stake for Texas A&M. A&M now 8-19 and tied with Auburn for the last spot in Hoover. Auburn would win the tiebreaker because Auburn won the series head-to-head uh, over the weekend. So that's the standings, and uh, that's kind of how the weekend went. Now, I-, I worked up an article over on jeanspage.com because I thought, you know, rather than just do an SEC weekend in review, maybe we should take a look at what happened around the 20, around those 20 sites. And so I, I won't bore you by running down the SEC schools again, but let me let you guys know, listen, we, we didn't have a great weekend, obviously, but we were not alone. In that respect, there were some other teams out there that had a lot to play for that uh, didn't play very well. That's not to excuse it by any stretch of the imagination. I don't think anybody lost to an opponent as uh, inferior as we did. But um, so let's run it down. Arizona takes all three from Washington, Arizona, and Oregon. Really, really locked into the Pac 12 race there. Uh, Charlotte. Splits four games with Rice over the weekend, and that's what Charlotte can't do. You know, they're a team that's kind of right there on the back end. You need to have winning weekends when you're kind of that one of the bubble teams because Kusa's not going to get three host spots. They might get two. They're not going to get three. ECU did a great job for themselves, went three out of four at Cincinnati. Road win, Cincinnati's not great, but ECU does what a winning team should do. Uh, Gonzaga swept a three-game series in Portland State. I mean, you know, let's call the paper there. Uh, I don't think Gonzaga ends up being a host site. I I don't. I don't think they're going to have enough. But they're doing what they're supposed to do. Louisiana Tech lost to LSU in the midweek and then took three or four from Texas San Antonio. So if you're looking at Conference USA, folks, Louisiana Tech clearly ahead. Clearly ahead. Not just an RPI but they're handling business. Notre Dame did not play this weekend. Uh, They will be on the road at uh, Virginia Tech uh, to close out the season. Oregon swept Utah over the weekend. They will host Gonzaga in the midweek and then Stanford. So some real RPI opportunities for them. Uh, Pittsburgh, another team that right there probably maybe 12-13 in the pecking order to get a regional. They didn't help themselves at all. They were swept by NC State over the weekend and lost four games in a row. And so that doesn't help by any stretch of imagination. Southern Miss split four games. And, again, you know, this is what Southern Miss can't do. You, know, you can't go out there and split when you're trying to go push in the host and prove you belong. They're probably right there, 17-18, and then you split. And so you don't pick up any ground in a weekend with some people ahead of you lose. So I think Southern Miss 
and Charlotte both are going to have to have a good run in the Coosa tournament. I think Louisiana Tech is definitely a host site. If Coosa is going to get two, it's going to be either Southern Miss and Charlotte. I would I would favor Charlotte right now, to be quite honest with you. Uh, Stanford uh, loses two out of three over the weekend to Cal. They're actually going to play again on Monday. That doesn't help Stanford at all. And, uh, of course, they got a big series coming up with Oregon. Uh, you want to know somebody that's on the ouch list right now? It's TCU. TCU is a team, obviously, it's been ranked right there around Mississippi State most of the year. They lose to Texas last weekend. Then they lose two out of three to Louisiana Monroe. That's right, Louisiana Monroe. How does that happen? But they lost it. And so they've lost two weekends in a row. Uh, they're still going to host. But we talk about, oh, we're hurting ourselves for the national seed race. There's some other people around us that have as well. And so I think our RPI holding right there on seven or eight will, be, will still be fine. We just got to keep winning. We got to get back to winning. Texas didn't play this week, so they're going to hold firm. Texas Tech took two out of three from Oklahoma over the weekend and uh, you know, kind of got a laugher this week coming up with Kansas. And so – there are some teams around us that are basically in the same boat that we're in from a weekend standpoint, but not in an overall resume standpoint. That's where you got to – people say, well, you know, Steve, are we going to drop out? No, we're not, okay? This is what everybody wants to know. Steve, we're still going to host. Yes, we're still going to host, okay? Yes, we're still going to host. Are we going to be a top eight national seed? Well, if we, if we go three and one this week, yeah, we're going to be a top eight national seed. That's what you want to hear. I'm telling you the truth. And, and there are a lot of people out there, but what if we lose? Well, what if we lose? We don't deserve it. If we lose the series to Alabama, we won't deserve a top eight national seed. I'm just, that's as blunt as I can say it. Alabama is a middle-of-the-road SEC team, and if we finish the year losing two series in a row, we don't deserve to be a top eight. We don't. And so it's not going to be about, oh, well, somebody should be a good friend to us. No, we got to go win our way in. If we win the series this weekend, we got to take care of uh, Jacksonville State on Tuesday, and then we go win a couple or three in Tuscaloosa, we're going to be a top eight national seed. So we still control that aspect of it. We're not going to win the SEC, but we can still very much be a top eight national seed. That's what you wanted to know. That's what you needed to hear. So the math still works. I know when, when something like this unexpected happens, it feels like the sky is falling, and it does. I know exactly how you feel because I feel it too. It sucks, man. It does. It is absolutely horrendous. And then there's this whole aspect, too, where Ole Miss beats Vanderbilt. And listen, let's be honest. Let's run the numbers down right now. Of the teams we're contending with in the SEC, Arkansas is playing better than us. Right? Tennessee playing better than us. Vanderbilt playing better than us. Ole Miss had a good weekend, but they hadn't had a better month than us. You know, we had a bad weekend. They had a good weekend. So all, all of a sudden we think, oh, my gosh, they're going to pass us for a national seed. Guys, if we do what we're supposed to do, we're going to end the year with a higher RPI, a better overall record, and a better conference record. So we would be chosen over them. And listen, as I talked about earlier in the show, Ole Miss is good. We've been better, but they're good. And so I know we would love for them not to host, but I think with them taking a series from Vanderbilt, with Vanderbilt's RPI being as high as it is, that's going to help Ole Miss tremendously. And they're probably going to go from being maybe a 13-14 type host to maybe moving up to maybe 10 or 11. And so I don't think they'll be a top eight national seed, and I, and I think they're going to really struggle on the road at Georgia this week. 
But to be fair to them, I thought they would struggle on Sunday. And I was hoping that they would take the series, but um, I was also expecting Mississippi State to sweep. And so we needed them to take the series. Well, then it's like, well, if we're not, if we didn't win, we didn't want them to win either, right? We didn't want them to gain any ground, but they did. We're still a game ahead of them. We do what we got to do. But the bottom line is this: is that you know we have to go win baseball games. At the end of the day, that's what it's all about. It doesn't matter how many friends we have. It doesn't matter what our conference affiliation is. It doesn't matter what we did back in February or March. We got to go win games. And if we don't win them, we don't deserve any of the rest that goes with it. We don't. We don't deserve it. We're not going to get in this because we've got a big stadium. We're not going to get in because everybody likes us. We're not going to get in because we've got cool uniforms. We're going to get in and we're going to be a top eight national seed because we win games. Simple as that. It's not a matter of opinion. It's a matter of math. You win, your record goes up, your RPI goes up, strength schedule goes up, and you get to go. And you get to be a top eight national seed. Just for no other reason than that. Nobody is going to vote us in because we're popular. We're going to get to be a top eight national seed because we have taken care of our business. And I believe we've got good enough leadership on this team that we're going to go out and have a good week. I believe that's the case. I know it's easy to lose heart when we get upset and there's an unexpected weekend. And we, listen, we've avoided that much of the year. You know, Arkansas was dreadful. Missouri was dreadful. You know, outside of that, things have pretty much gone to script. There were times, you know, we probably should have been able to get a sweep here, maybe should have been able to finish off South Carolina. You know, and those games matter. And I go all the way back to the conversation we have early in the year. There are 30 SEC games. None are more valuable than the rest of them. None of them. Not when you're playing for an SEC championship. They all count the same. Now, that doesn't necessarily constitute the same – weight in your RPI, but when you're trying to win an SEC championship, the team with the best record after 30 games wins it. And so it's not about just winning the weekend. you got to win every game you can. And you know what? Because you lose that ball game on Sunday against South Carolina, now you're in a situation now with a situation that unfolded with Missouri, now you're out of the race. You let Vanderbilt off the hook on Sunday, you're out of the race. You let LSU off the hook on Sunday back in SEC weekend one, you're out of the race. We were able to overcome all that. We gave ourselves a little margin for error, and then we gave it all back this past weekend. And that's what happens. When you have an opportunity to win a ball game, you have to win the ball game. It's as simple as that. So this is a, this is a mess of our own making. Let's talk a little recruiting before we get out of here. Brought to you by the fine folks at Portico. And I've had some of you reach out to me to get Brooks's number. I hope that you use it. Uh, Brooks is a great friend and a great guy, a guy that loves Mississippi State, a guy that loves Starkville. And because of the fact that he does like Starkville as much as he does and is so committed to your community, uh, Brooks is trying to bring some value to Starkville and to Mississippi State. Recently got a new contract on the house, just have three left in phase one, just three. So if you're looking, if you've been thinking about it, saying, Steve, we've been waiting for the kids to get out of school, make a call today. Make a call today. Find out about it. Second phase is going to be starting here in about six weeks. It got pushed back a little bit because of the weather. Okay, and there's all these permits and things like that. And listen, like last year, everybody blamed it on COVID, you know, and everything was slow. This year, it's a little different because what happened is building materials have skyrocketed, and so everything is kind of slowing down a little bit. 
they're they're forging ahead here and again about six weeks uh, still going to have that great um, walking trail around there and it's just 1.1 miles from campus it's great you can find the house that fits your needs whether it be an investment property for you a secondary home or your primary residence you're going to be glad that you chose portico very easy to find turn off highway 82 right on the 12 like going to campus very first right very first right and you know that emotion you feel when it's like oh my gosh we're almost to campus think about how cool it's going to be that your home is that close to campus and it's close enough for convenience but far enough away for having a little bit of privacy you know what i'm saying you're not going to be like next to fraternity row or anything you're going to be out there you know right off of uh, old west point road on garrett road easy to find for more information, reach out to my friend, your friend, everybody's friend, Brooks Bryan, 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. You'll be glad you did. Make Portico your next move. So over the weekend, former Rosa Fart, Rosa Fart, Rosa Fort star, uh, Badarius Knighton did commit to Auburn. A bit of a disappointment, but not totally unexpected. I give Paul Jones a lot of credit. Paul has kind of been on this while I've been uh, chasing baseball. And early on, Knighton was leaning to Mississippi State. Auburn offered. Everything changed after that. He is primarily a safety, wants to play safety. Uh, Don't know if he was going to fulfill that need here at Mississippi State, so he's headed to Auburn. And Auburn has been a burr in the transfer portal saddle for Mississippi State, much of this recruiting class for 2021. Absolutely have been. Don't know why, but they have been. So where does that leave us? Well, i tell you what. You've still got some time. You don't have to be in any hurry. Newcomers are going to report in 10 days. I think you spend a little time. You throw some hooks in the water and see what you come up with. And then you can make a decision about your two blue shirts or one of your blue shirts uh, during the summer months. I know many people on our message board are saying, hey, let's just go ahead and get it done. I don't agree with that at all. Because if these young men have already agreed and they understand, hey, I'm going to report with the newcomers and I'm going to sign my documents a little bit later, there's no point in changing plans right now until you have to. Because there may be some late traffic in the portal. And we've offered some new guys in the, tra- in the transfer portal, so we'll see how things progress. I just don't think there's any need to rush that. I know for many of you, you're thinking, Steve, I'm just ready for this to be over. You know, your coaches can't operate under that, under that line of thinking. You know, they got to think, okay, we've got 10 more days before newcomers get here. And so let's just see what happens. Let's wait it out. What's 10 more days, right? And so one of the two blue shirts is going to have to wait and sign in fall anyway. Both are agreeable to doing it then, but one of them is going to have to. And so I think you just simply wait this process out for about 10 days or more, and then you make some decisions. Because by the time we get into summer school, I think everybody, I don't think there's going to be a lot of movement once summer school classes begin. You've gotten to what, July 1st to make that decision. And so, you know, maybe you wait till then before you sign somebody. Uh, one of your blue shirts, that is. I think, I think it's a really simple thing. I think there is no urgency to do it. I think you just wait. I think one of the things Mississippi State has to avoid too is not getting somebody from the JAG Corps. What's a JAG Corps, you say? Well, JAG stands for just another guy. So if we can't get a guy that's going to help us be a better football team this year, then we're just better off signing one of the blue shirts, which gives us another spot in the 2022 class. I think it's pretty simple, pretty straightforward, because there's going to be some guys that will emerge late. There's a lot of guys we haven't seen. We'll see them in camp, and we're going to think, man, 
man, I've only got a dozen spots to work with right now. I wish I had one more. And that's always the case. And there's always late in the process, you wish you had another scholarship. You think, well, I've got to work these numbers out. What are we going to do? We're going to drop a guy. We're going to have a guy that doesn't have a good senior year. We're going to have a guy that's not going to qualify. So you got difficult decisions to make. But I think it's one of those deals where you just simply got to be patient with it. You simply have to be patient. There's no point in rushing this process and saying, you know what, let's just consider this thing over and done with and just be move on. Let's just sign the guys and move forward. Now, what's next for 2022? Well, Trent Singleton. I will tell you now, I believe without a doubt, that is the next Mississippi State commitment, unless somebody surprises me before he announces later this week. Uh, but Trent Singleton is a guy that I really like a lot. Mississippi State was uh, one of his first offers it's a guy from Ramon, Mississippi, that can play multiple positions. I like him as a safety. He has played some at corner. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what he looks like after a year in the college weight room. Do they trim him up a little bit? Do they bulk him up a little bit? We'll see. But I think Trent's a good enough athlete. He can kind of do what you need him to do. I think he's a very versatile athlete that uh, could play corner if need be. But, you know, he's already pretty thick. It's just one of those things of when you look at him and begin to kind of break him down physically, where does he fit best position-wise? What is his natural position? Uh, but a very skilled athlete and a guy that we've been expecting to commit for a long time, but he has kind of dug in his heels and said, listen, I'm going to announce on the uh, anniversary of my grandmother's passing, and uh, that is something that he has really been unwavering on. I respect that completely. I think he is also a guy that uh, has been very high on Mississippi State since State offered. I think his mind's been made up for a long time, and I think this announcement is essentially a formality. But it's just a guy that's got a lot of opportunities. He's got a lot of offers, and he's, he's, I think he is more in tune with the, the chance to represent his home state and where the maroon and white of Mississippi State. He got a lot of friends heading up there, and I think that he is the guy that's going to help us. I really think Trent Singleton's going to be a player at Mississippi State. I really do. I like his game. I like the fact that he's a you know he's a guy that plays quarterback in high school, and so I think as a result his his IQ has been somewhat accelerated. I think he understands the game a little bit better than most. But the thing that I like about him, my interactions with him, is he is so incredibly grateful. You know, there's a lot of guys out there to have a sense of entitlement. Well, this is what I've always worked for. This is what I always expected. I've never gotten that impression from Trent. He's always been that guy, no matter who offered. He's like, man, this is really great. I'm really excited about this opportunity. And you can read, we've done several stories with him, and every offer means something to him. And I think those are guys you win with. I think those are guys that make your locker room better. I think those are guys that work hard in offseason. I think those are the guys you win with. And so I'm excited, and I think by the end of the week we'll have him as a commitment. And we'll talk more about him later in the week. I believe the day is May 23rd. I believe that's right. So that would be what uh, – well, the 17th is today, and this is Monday. So I guess we go back uh, Sunday, I guess. So uh, within a week or so, I expect him to be a Mississippi State Bulldog. And uh, I'm really excited about it. And you should be too. Really, really fine young man and a fine football player uh, as well. All right, let's get ready to get out of here. Many of you guys have reached out. Many of you guys are buying the book, and uh, I want to thank you for that. I get those reports from Amazon, and uh, it's very humbling, to be honest with you. It's, uh, it's one of those things you look at, and um, you, know, you put these things together, and people get excited about it. And I've, I've let some people read some advanced copies of the book, and uh, including your friend Ty Horka, and, and he said, hey, man, some of this is really incredible, and, and I, that means a lot to me. Uh, it's very relatable, I think. And so Blooms of Oleander is the new book.
You can find it and pre-order it at Amazon, Books A Million, or uh, barnesandnoble.com. Available at all those websites. And then uh, we're going to do personalized copies through Bookmark Cafe. So they're going to do that when we do the launch. And that's going to be in about 20 days. June 7th is the release. And so some of you have already called and spoken to them. And so they asked me to communicate to you guys. Rather than take your debit card and all your information now, we're just going to wait and do it when the inventory gets there around June 7th. And so if you want signed or personalized copies, that's going to be the way to go about it. You're going to contact Book Martin Cafe in Starkville. I'll share that information as we get closer. But uh, it is really great, the response so far. I, I just don't know how these things are ever going to be re- received. And so many of you have been so gracious to me and so supportive uh, to me and my family. And, and uh, I, I can never say thank you enough. If you're looking for Stark Villains gear, I know many of you are because I get a message at least once a week and say, hey, Steve, what's the website? Very simple, StarkVillains.com, and you can get your shirts and hoodies and everything else uh, lined up and ready to go. And, uh, again, I'm probably going to make some changes with that line here in the months to come, but uh, that's where you go right now, StarkVillains.com. All right, AlphaDogsTheBook.com is where you can get Flim Flam, Stark Villains, and Alpha Dogs if you hadn't done so already. I know some of you guys like to do online shopping, so you can go to AlphaDogsBook.com rather than having to go in a bookstore. And if you want any of my books, all you got to do is go to your local bookstore and tell them. Um, easy enough. I believe in supporting your local bookstore, and so you can get Blooms of Oleander at any bookstore in the country. All right, let's get out of here. It's uh, it's already a little bit after 1 o'clock, and uh, this has been a 90-minute-plus show. And so, listen, I've said some things today, and they're they from my heart. They're absolutely what I mean. I know I speak for all of us when I say we are so ready for a national championship in baseball. We don't know how to act. And when we have a weekend like this, it kind of makes us think, you know what, this isn't a year. I mean, I'm so emotionally invested. I'm going to the games. When I can't make it to a game, I'm on the app. I'm watching everything. I'm living and dying with every pitch. And then we get upset by Missouri and we think, oh, my gosh, I'm not getting the return on this investment. Guys, it's going to pay off. I don't know if it happens this year, but it's going to pay off. We are going to be crowned national championships sooner, champions sooner rather than later. Hold the rope. It's all going to be okay. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.